So if you're following along with the Red Letter Challenge, if you're reading through the Red Letter Challenge, you know that this week falls in line with the theme of our readings. It also falls in line with the theme of the hymns we're singing, and that is on the, the word forgiveness. And what is forgiveness and what does it look like? So this week I was uh, working on a message about forgiveness till Friday. And then Friday happened and I woke up at eight o'clock and things seemed normal till nine o'clock happened. And then Friday became a very different kind of day with everything that started going on all around. And uh, I don't know how many of you ever heard the song, We Didn't Start the Fire. Some of you heard the song, We Didn't Start the Fire. It, it felt like this past week and especially Friday, we were living the, one of those verses of We Didn't Start the Fire. That's really what it started to feel like. And, Things started changing with schools in Wisconsin and national news and the media and I started getting text messages and emails and questions and phone calls and our leadership was in conversation all day, whether through emails or conference calls and just going, all right, so what does this mean for us and what, what do these changes mean and, and what do these proclamations mean? And, and as I was praying about that on Friday and going through this, I started to say, you know what? I think this weekend we need to hear a different word from God. Maybe we need a little bit of a different red letter from God this week. And, and so the, the words of Jesus that came to my mind this week, especially come Friday, were the words of Jesus in John 16, where he promises us that no matter what the world throws against us, that he is greater than what comes at us. And that when we trust in him, we can live a different kind of life in the midst of a crisis and struggle. And the church has always faced this, right? I mean, this isn't the first time something grand has happened, and it certainly will not be the last time. In fact, if you go all the way back to the very early church, 250 AD, Emperor Decius is the emperor at that time, and Emperor Decius hates Christians. Absolutely hates them, executes them, persecutes them, everything he can to get rid of Christianity. And a plague broke out at that time, a plague that was so great, and, and they weren't, they, the historians still aren't sure what it was. Some say it was smallpox, some say it was measles, but it was a deadly disease to the degree that it was said 5,000 people a day in Rome died. 5,000 a day died in Rome about 250-275 A.D. Emperor Decius constantly blamed the Christians for this. If Christianity hadn't come on the scene, if they didn't worship Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. And They're blamed for it, but what actually happened during that time was the Christians, instead of running away like everybody else did, they actually ran towards those who were sick and hurting and in pain. And they loved on them. They blessed them. And it wasn't because God gave them this bubble of protection, right? So it wasn't like the Christians were saying, well, because we're Christians, we're not going to come down with this measles or smallpox or whatever this plague is. The Christians were dying at the same rate the pagans were dying, but they continued to go to people in their time of need and care for them and love them. In fact, Julian the Apostate during that time, someone who also hated Christians said this, he goes, goes, these impious Galilean Christians, they support not only their own, 
but ours as well. And in fact, in the midst of that crisis, as Christians continue to flood to those who are in need, Christianity actually didn't lose steam, it gained steam. It grew. It was blessed because in the midst of that crisis, God's people had the courage to step into what God gave them to do. Just think about that. How, how do you have that courage? What does it take to have a courage like that? Well, these words of Jesus in John 16, verse 33, if you look at verse 32, just before that, Jesus actually warns them about what's going to happen to them. Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will all be scattered. Each of you will be isolated to your own home, and you will all leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Thus I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, tribulation, persecution. That word means you may feel pressed in on. You may wake up every day wondering what's going to happen today. You been there? You there right now? He goes, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Well, where does that courage come from? It's courage from faith. Notice he says, he says, don't take heart because of this world. Don't take heart in this world. He says, take heart because I have overcome the world. He says, says, place your faith in me. Your courage comes from faith in Jesus Christ. It's only in that way that we can run towards people in their time of need, holding to the promises, the presence, and the protection that God gives to us in the midst of the struggles and trials of life. And as I was thinking about these words, and and, and what does this look like? What what does this mean that we we take heart that Jesus has overcome the world? That we can be at our best when the world is at its worst. And and the story in the scriptures that came to my mind is one of my favorite pictures of this. It's from Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are traveling, and they come to a place called Philippi. Philippi. And as they're, they're teaching and as they cause this, this struggle, this upheaval among the city, it says that they were captured, uh, they were taken in chains, and then it says they were fastened into the inner prison with their feet in stocks. Well, what the inner prison was is this is a picture of the jail at Philippi. And you can see it, it's behind that metal gate. They would not have had the metal gate at that time. That would not have been there. But the rest of the structure would have been the jail. The outer prison was actually on the outside. There would have been fresh light and air and food. Then there was the secondary prison, which was just through that gate. There would have been less fresh air and light and food. But the inner, inner prison, which is what Paul is talking about, what Luke is talking about that Paul experienced here, would actually have been through the gate and then down into the ground. There would have been no sanitation, no health, no light, no fresh air. This was not a hopeful place to be. This is where Paul and Silas find themselves. 
And if you were there, if, if, if you were in that prison with Paul and Silas at that time, what would you be doing? What would you be feeling? What would your emotion be? What would you be crying out at that time? Some of you might be crying out, God, why would you do this to me? How could you do this to me? I've been faithful to you. I love you. I serve you. How, how could you not protect me from dealing with something like this? Some of you have been crying out to the guards, I'm hungry, feed me. But how many of us would have done what Paul and Silas did? Because it tells us what they cried out. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Could you imagine being there in that dark pit in the jail, and all of a sudden somebody starts singing Amazing Grace, or How Great Thou Art, or Lift High the Cross? And you're crying out in anger, and they're singing hymns in the midst of the pit. And that's what Paul and Silas did. How could you do that? What, 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 what has to be inside of us in order to get to the point where we can sing praises from the pit? What well, continues... It says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfashioned. So, so you're there, and the earthquake takes place, and you're, all of your chains come loose, the doors swing open, there's nothing blocking you from the exit. What do you do? Most of us make a break for it, don't we? Like, this must be God's work. I'm out of here. Right? Praise the Lord, He has set me free. It's not what Paul and Silas do, though. So everyone's bonds are unfastened, it says, and the jailer awakes, and he sees the prison doors are open, and he draws his sword, and he's about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. The reason that, that the soldier does this is because the soldiers who had let prisoners escape from prison were actually under capital punishment. So what the soldier is deciding to do is to end his life on his terms instead of somebody else's terms. He says, I know I might get beaten, I might get whipped, and then I might get executed. So instead of dealing with torture and pain and suffering and then death, I'm just going to take my own life in my own hands and protect myself by killing myself. He says, says, that's the hope I have. Now, do you see the comparison there between the jailer and Paul and Silas? They're both facing the same thing. They're both facing a hopeless situation. But Paul turns to singing hymns, and the jailer turns to the sword. How in the midst of crisis do you turn to singing hymns and praising God? Well, it's what we hear about in the rest of this. It says, as he's about to kill himself, Paul cries out and says, do not harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and he rushed in trembling with fear and he fell down before Paul and Silas. They stayed. And because they stayed in the midst of, of hopelessness, in the midst of, of all that they're facing, because they didn't flee it, but because they stayed in the midst of it, God gave them an opportunity that nobody else had. 
Because the jailer looks at them and says to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Uh, What do I need to do to have the same hope and the same confidence and the same joy that you have? Like, how do I get what you got? I want what you have. How do I get that? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his household. And he took them that same hour of the night. He washed their wounds. He was baptized at once. He and his entire family were baptized. Then he brought him into his house and set food before them. And they rejoiced along with his entire family that he had believed in God. You see, when life was at its worst, Paul and Silas were at their best. And because they had the courage to stay God gave them a witness in the midst of crisis that nobody else had. A witness that changed their life. Paul and Silas had the courage to act in faith. You know what I've realized is is courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to walk through our fears. When I was in kindergarten, I uh, had the opportunity to be the lead role in a musical. Now, if you hear me sing now, nobody would ever, ever put me in the lead role of a musical, ever. In fact, some of you are thinking, was that person tone deaf? Because you should not be singing in anybody's earshot. Like, that should not happen, Pastor. So, so, but at that time, I must have had a much better voice than I do now. And so I had the lead role. I, it was, I don't remember what it was called, but I just remember the, I had a, a huge solo called Say Cheese, Please. And the line was like, say cheese, please. We'll even sneeze at that. Because I was a mouse that was allergic to cheese. And, and yet I had to go around because a Santa was coming. And if I didn't take all the cheese, then I don't remember, something would happen. And so I had to actually go against my fears. And, but, but my real fear was not cheese. My real fear was I had to get out there as a kindergartner in front of everybody was sitting out there with the lights on me in the midst of this musical, remember all my lines. And I remember... I was afraid. I looked out there from behind the scenes and I'm like, I don't want to go out there. But I did it anyways. And I remember at the end of it, somebody came up to me and says, says that was really courageous. And I'm thinking, but I was really fearful. But that's really what courage is, isn't it? Courage is not saying that you have to get rid of your fears. Courage is saying, I'm going to keep going even though I have fear. It's what athletes do. When there is a fearful situation, they keep going. It's what soldiers do. I'm sure they experience some semblance of fear, but they keep going. That's what courage is. Paul and Silas, did they have fear? I'm sure they had some fear, and yet they had the courage to keep going, even in the midst of the fear that they faced. And what allows us, in the midst of fear, to have courage to keep going? Well, I believe they understood and they clung to three things that allowed them to have courage when fear could prevail. Those three things were this. They believed that Christ took the worst of it for them. He already did on the cross. Because what's the worst thing that could ever happen to us? It's sin, death, and hell, right? And if Jesus has conquered the worst of our enemies, sin, death, and hell, then what can he not conquer for us? He has taken the worst. What can this world do to me? And he's already paid for it on the cross. They believe that Christ is Lord of all. 
He's in charge of it all. He wants to throw open the gates of a prison. He can. He wants to make a dead man rise again. He can. He wants to heal the blind. He wants to, to, to give, uh, be able to make the lame to walk. He can. He is Lord of all. Who can stop him? And third, they believe that our greatest reward is already ours. And what's our greatest reward? Forgiveness in heaven, is it not? It's already yours. You have the greatest reward. And imagine if we lived in light of eternity and not in light of today. It's two different perspectives, isn't it? If we lived knowing the victory is already ours, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. The actual word overcome there is the word Nike. It's victory in the Greek. I've already had victory over the world. If we lived not for victory, but from victory, it would change how we lived. That's what Paul and Silas lived from. Their world was an upheaval, and yet they were at their best. The truth is that, in many ways, our world feels like it's an upheaval right now. And not just because of a coronavirus, but some of us have experienced it in other ways. We experience it with death. We experience it with divorce. We experience it with job loss. We experience the upheaval with politics and with infighting and and, and just the world around us that seems in upheaval. The coronavirus is just the latest, but it's not the first and it's not the last. The world will constantly feel an upheaval. And yet your stability is not built on your circumstances, but on your Savior. So that when the world is at its worst, we as Christians can be at our best because we have the promise of God that says to us, in fact, the command that Jesus gives more than any other command in the scriptures is do not be afraid. Not be afraid for I am with you. Not be afraid what can harm the body but cannot hurt the soul. Do not fear. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Crisis gets to reveal our soul, not crush our soul. Because it allows us to have the courage to run towards those who are in need, those who are suffering, those who are in pain, so that when the world is at its worst, we can be at our best. In fact, how do we react as Christians to the circumstances around us? It's what I've been praying about all week. But the way that we do it is by having faith not in our circumstances, but in our Savior. Because if we trust our circumstances, they'll always change, won't they? Think about how quickly your circumstances change and my circumstances change. Because circumstances are circumstantial. They're constantly changing. But our Savior does not. So we trust our Savior, not our circumstances. And how do we respond? Well, it's something that I and our team and our leaders, we've been praying about all week of of how do we respond in the midst of this. And as we've been praying about it, there were two things that came to mind. First was was Matthew chapter 5, where it says that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. We are called to be salt and light in the midst of a world filled with struggle. And the other one was this quote by Luther. I shared it in one of my emails that I sent out, and I want to share it again this morning. 
because I just keep coming back to these words of how important and faithful we can be in the midst of the struggles around us. Luther, when he was facing the Black Plague, he actually said this. He goes, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me. So I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. And then this, this, this last part really just so significant. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and it does not tempt God. What does Luther say we act with? I think he says we act with two things. We act with courage and we act with care. We use wisdom, we trust God, but we understand where others are coming from. Because there are some who have fear, some who have anger, some who have skepticism, and that's okay. Because their feelings are valid. And we act with compassion and courage. And it's how grace responds. Because we're still gonna do ministry, it's just gonna look different. We're still having school. It's just gonna look different for a little bit. Sunday morning children's ministry and our youth ministry, they may not meet on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights anymore, but we're still going to do ministry for our student ministry. It's just going to look different. Worship is just gonna look different for a time. Some of you saw and maybe you heard that, that uh, we've been told by some places here at Grace that even pastors are not allowed to go and make visits into some of the uh, homes, the retirement homes, the assisted living uh, spaces. Where they've just said, please do not come and visit us. Uh, we do worship services at Gables and Arboretum. We've been told, please do not come to do the worship services at Gables and Arboretum. We will not allow you to come in. It has to look different now. For some of us, that means that because of that isolation, that there are some who are going to feel very lonely now because they're isolated. But you know what God has blessed us with? Telephones. And some of us know people who we can pick the phone up and make a phone call. Do you know what social distancing does not mean? Social isolation. Right? We can still reach out and call people. I mean, God has blessed us with so much technology that while that has separated us, it can also connect us and we can leverage that for the sake of caring for others so that we can reach out in love. Just don't reach out physically and touch them. But reach out in love towards them. Care for them in their time of need. Understand the hurts of others. It means this. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hands. Open your eyes to see the needs of others. Your ears to hear them, and your hands to bless them. I just want to share a little way that I've seen this happen. 
So the other day I went out to the stores because I needed to pick up some toilet paper. Not because we were hoarding, because we're a family of eight and we had three rolls left. That's gonna last not long. And we jokingly posted, my wife jokingly posted on Facebook, absolutely, there's no toilet paper left. So we got a a message from a member who said, you know what, we're up north and uh, we were able to find plentiful toilet paper. And uh, so we picked up two 24 packs and we're bringing them back and we'll drop them off at your house. And we are like, praise the Lord. And in just a small way, somebody had their eyes open and their ears open and their hands open to bless us in our time of need. (laughs) And we can do the same. That in this time of need, we can live with eyes open and ears open and hands open and say, you know what? We're not going to run away from others. We're going to run towards others in their time of need. And we can be the church in prayer, in compassion, in service, in care. We cannot just meet together as the church, but this is such a time where we can run towards people in their time of need. And we can be the church so that when the world is at its worst, we as the church can be at our best because that's what it means to be the church. In Jesus' name, amen.